Um, all right, well, welcome. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the senior pastor. And uh, we are, uh, we're in a series where we've been talking about the manifest presence of God. And uh, we're kind of wrapping it up this week because here in two weeks, March 14th, this, this winter is going by really quickly. Um, amen. Hallelujah. Um, March 14th is going to be a kickoff to our 21 days of prayer and fasting leading up to Easter. And we're going to be kicking it off with a night of worship. We haven't had a night of worship in so stinking long. And so we're going to be doing that March 14th. Make sure you stay tuned for that. And um, I, I'm, I'm just excited about this, this 21 days of, of prayer and fasting as a church together as, as we move forward into Easter. Um, and in today what I want to talk about is, is usually I think in the presence of God, when we talk about the presence of God, we think of it in terms as an individual experience like a private encounter, like I'm, I'm experiencing the presence of God. But when, when even, even when we do experience the presence of God in like a, a crowd, like a church service, it's usually about my personal perception of God's presence. Like I, I'm perceiving that God is thick in this place and that kind of thing. Um, but here's, here's where, where I want to hone in on today is that um, a crowd does not host the presence of God. A crowd does not host the presence of God. Why? Because crowds are fickle. Crowds come and go. Crowds, um, well, my mom always said, don't follow the crowd. Uh, crowds can lead you astray, um, and they can turn on you, and they turned on Jesus. And so crowds do not host the presence of God. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, crowds don't protect you. You know, when you're just a part of a crowd, you're, you're actually not protected because a crowd could lead you where you don't really want to go. Uh, that's why he says a companion of fools suffers harm. And when we look at the, the life of Jesus, he was never impressed by the crowd. He would intentionally sometimes say things that were a little wonky or sounded wonky on the onset so that he would thin out the crowd because he wasn't ever impressed by it. What he poured himself into was his community. He, he ministered to the crowd, but he discipled his community of 12. Those are the, the people that he poured his, his life into. So the presence of God may show up in a crowd, but it is hosted by community. And so as we talk about this today, I just want I think it's a key piece to hosting God's presence is realizing that we're not just a crowd where we hope God may or may not show up, that we um, are to be a community where we host the presence of God together. Because this flies in the face of what our culture is trying to convince us of. Our culture is trying to convince us that viewing content in a crowd is synonymous with being part of a community. That, that taking part and listening or watching um, is, is different than participating in a culture of community together. So turn with me to Mark chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, your version app, whatever that looks like for you. Um, the Lord brought me to the Scripture, and quite honestly, I was, I was fighting him all week because I thought, I don't, I don't know why you're taking me to the Scripture. I don't know what this has to do with hosting the presence of God. Um, Mark chapter 2, I, I believe, is a, a picture of community and what church-like family should look like. So if you would, if you'd stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1 down through verse 12 together. It's one of my favorite stories. So here we go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. 
some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get, to, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed man, your, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he has said to the man, I tell you, take up your mat and walk and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that we wouldn't leave this place the same, that we would be changed by your spirit, that your word would, would, would just divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow in us, and that uh, we, would, we would get fully what you want us to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, this is one of my favorite miracles. Uh, I because it's just these crazy guys. I mean, they, do, they just do something that um, maybe you did in high school or in college. They just, they just ask for um, nothing. They just do it because it, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. So let me just kind of lay, lay out this story. Verse 1 indicates that there's like a buzz about Jesus in the countryside of Capernaum. Um, Word has spread that Jesus is a great teacher and that he is a miracle worker. And so Jesus is invited into someone's home. We don't know necessarily whose home it is. Some people think it's Peter's home, but there's nothing that says that here. Um, and he begins preaching, preaching God's word. And uh, it's, it's interesting. It starts getting crazy because uninvited people start inviting themselves to the party. I don't know if you've ever had a party like that where you're like, who, who are you? right? Who inv- you're in my home now. Okay, this is fine, right? And so a crowd forms, and word begins to spread faster because of our FOMO, our fear of missing out, and so people start quickly filling up this place. And the crowd was simply not practicing social distancing protocol. Um, and now it's gotten to the point where the people are, are not only inside this home, they're, they're overflowing to the outside of the building where they're just pressing in, looking, hoping, climbing over people to get a glimpse or to hear what it is that Jesus is saying. They all want to be in the presence of Jesus. And now we segue into these five friends in this scripture. Word finally reaches them. We don't know where they were, where they're at when they finally hear about Jesus is in town. Why do I call them friends? Because no one does what they just did outside of some crazy love. No one does this. It's, it's preposterous what they do. Nobody does that unless you're, you're doing that for a friend. Because one of these friends is paralyzed, the Bible says. One of these friends is different. He lives his life on a mat. He probably doesn't have a job apart from begging for food or for money. He's probably considered an outcast and dependent on his friends for much of his needs in his life. And my best guess, and I'm just reading into the story, so it doesn't say this, but my best guess is that at least one of these friends have, has already seen Jesus before. 
I think, I think he's probably already been around Jesus, heard Jesus' teaching, seen Jesus' miracles, because Jesus had just previously visited Capernaum, this town. We see that in, in Mark chapter 1. Um, Jesus was in Capernaum, and he was crazy busy. He did things like he drove out an evil spirit. You can read that in Mark chapter 1. He um, healed Simon's mother-in-law, which... Um, when you fix somebody's mother-in-law, word spreads, okay? Um, so we're, it's getting out, right? I mean, he's, he's fixing mother-in-laws. He's driving out evil spirits. Um, and, and verse 32, that's a lot of work, right? Verse 32, I told you he's busy. Verse 32, the people brought all the sick and demon-possessed to Jesus. This is still Mark chapter 1. And it says that Jesus healed many of the people from diseases and drove out many demons. So... This was his first visit. He goes away, and in Mark chapter 2, it actually begins by saying that he came back, that he was making a comeback. He returned. So he has a known track record in this city, in this town, and what happens is that faith begets faith. What I mean by that is when, when you hear testimonies of what God has done, it, 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 it births faith in you to believe that he'll do it again right? So these people come expectantly. I just want you to understand that. Like when I go to pray for people, like I'll get a phone call, like, hey, pastor, could you come and pray with me? Honestly, what I'll do, and Pastor Tom and I have done this before, we'll, we'll literally recount, okay, we're going to pray for somebody with cancer. And I'll literally recount the times where I've watched God heal cancer. And when we get there, I will literally start telling testimonies of just stories, God's stories of what he's done, things that he, I've seen him do, backs that he's healed, um, cancer that he's healed. I've, I've seen deaf ears open. Like, I'll, I'll start recounting those things. Why? Because it builds up faith and releases faith that God will do it again. And so when we share that, when we share testimony, it's why we, we showed a testimony last week, because it builds faith for someone else's life to say, if God can do that for them, then he could possibly do that for me. And so these, these five friends, that's why I think that, that one of them was there. Maybe they were in Capernaum when Jesus was there before, and they're just like, man, you don't understand the, the stuff that he, he fixed my mother-in-law. Like, you have no idea. And so these five friends, they, they hear that Jesus is back in town. They look at their paralyzed friend, and they're like, we're not going to miss another opportunity. Because last time we didn't. We were busy, and we had work, and I was doing overtime, and, and we never did this. And so what do they do? They pick up a corner of the mat, and they just start running. They just start running to where Jesus is or where they heard he was last. I'm sure the guy's like, where are we going? They're like, we're taking you to Jesus. Well, I didn't, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? But well, don't worry about it. He'll, he's going to fix you. When was the last time that you just dropped everything to chase after the presence of God? When was the last time? I know you've, you've got a lot of things going on in your life and responsibilities and roles and but when was the last time you just said, you know what, I can't, I can't help myself but to drop the things that are in front of me because I've, I, I have to chase after the presence of Jesus. And what I love about these guys is that for me, many times it's personal and private, but they're, they're not going to a conference to get blessed. They're not going to a revival service to get a touch. They're not, they're not going to a camp meeting for themselves. They are going and running and bringing their friend to the only one who can heal him. It's not for them. It's, it's for him. I, I think many times when we, and this is where I'm trying to break us away from what we're talking about, the hosting the presence of God. We think of it so individualistic, especially in our society today. It's all about my personal encounter with Jesus, my private time with him. But this is, this, I love this story because sometimes 
sometimes you need community to carry you where you need to go. Sometimes you need community to carry you where you need to go. We need people in our lives that will sharpen us, that will encourage us, and sometimes drag our sorry behind to the presence of Jesus. Sometimes you need someone to literally pick you up, kick you, prod you, poke you, pull you, drag you, willingly or unwillingly, to the presence of Jesus. Um, we need people in our lives that will do that for us, that love us enough to do that, and we need to be cultivating that on the inside of us that we would love somebody enough to do that for them because we were never meant to follow Jesus alone. And if somebody tries to convince you otherwise, it's not the gospel. You need friends like these, and you need to be a friend like these guys. Amen? And the more we grow in God, the more we realize that like, the presence of God is not just about me and Jesus, me and Jesus, Jesus and me, but that we have a role and a responsibility to be a mat carrier for other people, to carry other people closer to the presence of Jesus. What does that mean? It means that sometimes like you've got a friend that is stuck and paralyzed on a mat that you gather other godly friends to pick them up and to carry them to Jesus. Where are we going? We're going to meet with Jesus. But I don't want to. Mm, I didn't ask. You need him. You need him. And I'm carrying you there because I know you can't make it on your own. And let me just tell you, it is incredibly inconvenient because you cannot carry someone where you're not willing to go yourself, which means you have to go along with them. It's incredibly inconvenient. And we all need mat carriers to carry us closer to the presence of God in our life. The problem is what we find in, in life these days is that um, you can find a lot of mat makers, but not a lot of mat carriers. Um, there's a lot of mat carriers or mat makers, but very few mat carriers. What's a mat maker? A mat maker is a, maybe a relationship that puts you down or keeps you down. In fact, mat makers don't like it when you get up off of the mat that they made for you. And they may not be the source of pain or problems or offense or wound, but they let you lie on it and really don't want you to get up because your, your freedom offends them and takes away excuses for them. But a mat carrier is different. A mat carrier is somebody that picks you up willingly or unwillingly and carries you to Jesus, even if you're like, man, I don't know if I'm ready or I don't know if I want to, because knows that the only thing that will actually heal you will be God. And can I just encourage you to cultivate mat carriers in your life so that when, when you get knocked down, and you will, and, and, and you cannot stand on your own, you have someone there to pick you up and drag your sorry butt back to Jesus. You're like, I don't know if I need that. Oh, you will. You may not need it now, but you will need it. And some of you are like, I, I could really use someone like that right now. Because when I read this story, I don't know about you, but like I, I look at these four friends and I'm like, man, I, I don't know if you're like, I, 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 want four, I want friends like these. These guys that are just, they just don't take no for an answer. And I was asking the Lord, like, what is it about them that you want me to see? And this is what I was realizing as I, as I read through this, this story, is that this paralyzed man experienced the love of Jesus through others long before he encountered the presence of Jesus. Let me say that again. 
This paralyzed man experienced the love of God through others long before he experienced the presence of Jesus. So this, he, he, didn't, he, he, he experienced God's love, not from the crowd. The crowd didn't even let him in. The crowd didn't care about him. The crowd wasn't trying to protect him. The tri- crowd wasn't saying, hey, make way for this guy. He's paralytic. He needs help to get in here. Um, that's, it wasn't the crowd that helped. He experienced the love of God through the sacrificial community of his four friends that decided, we're, we're going we're gonna to find a way. We're, we're taking you here. It's these four crazy friends that loved him and served him, and it was a revelation of God's love for him, but it was through them. It was through these guys. And so when we talk about hosting the presence of God, and we've been talking about it over the past six weeks, what if one of the greatest ways that, we, that God's presence is manifest to others is through you? What if that was God's plan? That you would be the aroma of Christ. And they, so they finally get to the house and they're, I, I mean, I'm, I don't even know what this looks like, but I'm, I'm, I always imagine, I put myself in these situations, like they're probably out of breath only to be defeated because the door is so packed, the house is so packed, they can't even get inside. And what happens next you know was probably uh, an idea of the one guy in the group that was like the wing nut. You, you know, you've got, if you've got a group of friends, you've always got the one, and if you don't have it, you're probably it and you don't know it. Like he's the, he's the wing nut in the group that was just like, didn't take no for an answer, would rather ask for forgiveness rather than permission, and he just decides this house could use a skylight. And I've watched every episode of Fixer Upper with my wife, and we can do this, right? Chip and JoJo, let's, let's do this thing, right? And so they, he just decides, come on, guys, we're, there's no door. We're going to make a door. And so they climb up on the roof, and they start digging in, and they start, they start digging into this group. They start making a, a doorway where there was no doorway. They don't ask permission from the homeowner. They just climb up and begin removing part of the roof. And here's what, I, here's what I was realizing as I was reading this, is that sometimes the greatest opportunities aren't always the most obvious. In fact, most times, greatest opportunities take great intentionality. What do I mean by that? Well, as Christians, and, and I'm going to just poke at us a little bit, we, we, we like to say Christianese terms a lot. We say things like, God, I pray for a hedge of protection. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying we, we pray for hedges, a lot of hedges of protection. And we, we pray for open doors and closed doors and things like that. God, I pray that you would open up a door. I pray that, you, in other words, we're praying, God, I pray you would open up an opportunity that I can just walk into and walk through. But what we see here is that sometimes opportunity looks a whole lot like work. God, I was just praying for an open, I mean, they could have sat there for an hour. I just pray for an open door. Just pray for an open door. Lord Jesus, I pray for hedge of protection and open doors. I pray for I just want you to, I just want you to see here that sometimes the greatest opportunity that is in front of you looks a whole lot like work. In Psalm 27, verse 14, it says this, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. But wait, I say, on the Lord. I want you to understand, when we talk about waiting on the Lord, it's not this passive thing of just like, God, I'm just waiting for you. I'm just waiting that hopefully maybe if you want, if you would like and you want to open up a door, I'll walk through it. This word wait is the Hebrew word kavah, and it actually can be translated to look eagerly for, to be expectant. 
So when it says, wait on the Lord, wait, he actually says it in, in, in uh, you can see it right there. It literally, he's got like an exclamation point, like he's yelling at you. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's not saying, wait passively, don't do anything, just sit back and, and hope that maybe he'll do something. It actually is not a passive thing, it's a pursuit. He's saying, be expectant. Look eagerly for the Lord and what he's doing. And so these guys were so confident that Jesus was the answer that they just started making a way where there was no way. They, they knew that their friend quite literally needed a breakthrough, literally. And he knew, they knew that he couldn't do it on, on his own, and so they just started digging up the roof. They're ripping, raising the roof because sometimes you need to get your hands dirty in order to see breakthrough. And so they're just not afraid. They're just, okay, we're going to do this thing. And they could have easily sat around with, come up with a ton of excuses. I was just thinking some of them. They could have been like, well, you know what? I didn't bring a shovel. I don't have a shovel. Does anyone have no shovels? Anyone have, is there a ladder? Anyone have a ladder? It's really tall. Ocean's not approving this. And I don't know. And, I, and one guy, you know, he was like, I think I'm allergic to roofing. You know, like, I don't, I don't think I should do this. I'm not a qualified for this. They just decide, no, our friend needs help. There's not a door that's open, so we're going to make a door where there is no door. And I picture Jesus on the inside. He's preaching and, and teaching, and I don't know if he's healing people or what, but we don't exactly know what's going on, but I'm, just, I'm guessing he's, they're hearing noises on the roof, and they're, what's going on, and dust and things are falling down, and, and all of a sudden there's like a little like beam of light that pops through the, where there once was a ceiling, and I, I just imagine Jesus like smiling a little bit, like just this grin, like, man, these guys are awesome. <sighs> because he knows what's about to happen. And I imagine all of a sudden, finally, they rip out enough, and there's like four dirty, sweaty faces peering down to Jesus. And I, I just imagine, because I think they're these type of guys, that they're like, hey, Jesus, watch us, right? And they just decide that they're going to start lowering their friend down. And we kind of see this. I, I think it, it sounds a little more sanitized than it probably happened. They did not have a pulley system and ropes, okay? I think it was a hot mess, I think this guy more fell into the living room than he was like lowered down like that is not how look it that's not how any of this looks like I think they're just like oh he won't feel it you know what I mean they're just like just drop the dude down in the middle of Jesus and this is how I imagine this thing and 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 what I love about this is this is what happens verse 5 when Jesus saw their faith The question that I'm wondering is, what, what did he see? Because if I paint the picture of what he saw, well, he saw destruction to private property. He, he saw their interruption to the closing point of his stellar sermon, right? He, he, he saw those things. But I want you to understand that Jesus doesn't see an interruption. He sees it as faith. He sees their faith. Like, what if what we call interruptions in our day may actually be invitations to divine appointments? And this guy is literally dropped in on Jesus. Can I encourage you to be interruptible? Like, I know you're busy and you've got a lot of things going on, 
but I wonder how many times we're so busy doing things that we miss the people that God drops right in front of us in our days. Be interruptible, because what we would see as an interruption, he sees as a divine appointment that he's excited about. And I wonder how many times I'm late or I completely miss divine appointments in my day because I'm busy doing things. And he says to the guy in verse 5, Jesus looks at him and he says this weird statement, son, your sins are forgiven. To which I'm like, "Um, if I was this guy, I would be like, thanks? I've kind of not why I dropped in on you, right? But that, that helps. Appreciate that, right? But I was kind of hoping maybe you'd help me in the whole paralysis department, right? That, that, would be, that, would be a, that would be a great thing if you could maybe help me in the thing that is pretty apparent that I came here for, but sometimes God will bypass what we want in order to give us what we need. Because I was hoping maybe he would change this and, and, and do the thing that I, I'm pretty apparent, I think, that I'm, I'm asking him for. And God's like, I, I want to do that, but before I get to that, I actually want to do something different in you that is, is even better. He gives us what we, want, what we need rather than what we want because he's always in the business of changing us from the inside out. And I want God to change me from the outside in. I want him to change my circumstances. I want him to change other people. But many times God's like, I actually need to do a work in you before I can do a work for you. Which sounds really great. Unless you're the paralyzed dude sitting on the mat on the ground with his sins forgiven. Oh, okay. Thanks, I guess. Psalm 16, verse 11, gives us a vision of what it is that God wants to do. He says, you show me the path of life in your presence, in your presence. Catch this, if you can wrap your head around it. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think many times we're asking God for a specific thing. Maybe you're asking God for a healing But God is always and has always been in the fullness business. When we say like God has saved us, it's this word sozo, which means saved, healed, delivered, forgiven, restored, made whole. In other words, he wants to do all that. We're like, I've just wondered, maybe I have this bum knee. If you could fix that. And he's like, "I'd, I'd love to fix that. But before we do that, I'd like to forgive your sins. Before we do that, I'd like to restore something in you that is broken. And he wants to do all of that. And so for another sermon in another day, there's a little spat with the Pharisees and they're all questioning Jesus. And then Jesus finally says to the man the words that he's been waiting to hear in verse 11. He looks to the guy and he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He literally speaks this man's miracle into existence with a word. And I've always wondered what it must have been like for, for people that, that, that are, are dramatically healed in such a way where, they, where they, all of a sudden they feel tingling and have feeling where there once was numbness, where there was move, there's movement where there once was deadness, where there's walking and an ability where there only was just laying down, unable to move. And I think what Jesus is trying to 
help us to understand and help the Pharisees understand and even help this, this paralytic understand is this. When I heal you, you can do things that you couldn't do before. But in the same way, when I forgive your sins, you can do things that you couldn't do before. Both of them are freedom. When I heal you and I say, okay, get up and take your mat, you're going to have feeling where you had numbness. You're going to have, be able to walk where you only knew how to lay down and do nothing. You're going to be able to move where you were dead. And in the same way, when I say that your sins are forgiven, you're going to have feeling where there once was death. You're going to have love where there once was hate. You're going to have forgiveness where there once was hurt. And you can do things that you never could do before. And in both of these moments, whether he's saying, son, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take up your mat, and walk, we have this decision to make, which is I have to choose to walk it out. Whether I'm laying down on the ground, just completely paralyzed, and, and God speaks the words, get up, take your mat, and walk, at that moment, he has to make a decision. Am I going to try to move things that I don't even know how to move? And I think in the same way, when he says, son, your sins are forgiven, we have this decision to make. Am I going to try to exercise what I don't even know how to do? I, I don't know how to walk in this freedom. And every single one of us, when God works in us, we have a decision to come alongside and to walk it out. In verse 12, he says, he got up and he took his mat and he walked it out in full view of them. He walked it out. And, I, and my question is this, what is God calling you to walk it out? What truth or, or, or promise or vision is God telling you to begin walking out? And you're like, I, I just don't, I know what he's calling me to do. I just don't think I can do it. To which Jesus would say, I know, that's why you need me. I know you can't do it. I didn't actually ask you to, to do it without me. Because I think we all, in so many ways, have mats that we could lie down on. Mats of, of brokenness. Um, maybe your mat is a mat of you know, lies that you believe about God or about yourself, beliefs that kind of keep, keep you down, things that paralyze you from, from moving forward to getting closer to Jesus. Maybe your mat is just a distortion of your view of God or it's anger or it's fear or insecurity or reject. Whatever those things are, we all have mats that we can make a decision. Okay, I'm going to choose to lie down on this thing or I'm going to choose to pick it up and walk it out. And I know that sounds harsh, which is why you need friends to be able to help pick you up and walk it out and maybe even drag you when you can't do it on your own, to encourage you, to sharpen you, and to make you a better follower of Jesus through the community of loving friends that help you walk it out and say, I'm going to help carry you, but I'm not going to take you to a place where I'm not willing to go to, and I'm going to walk it out with you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? The presence of Jesus is best hosted in the presence of community. A crowd does not host God's presence. It's a community that, that does, that hosts it best. I want to end with a scripture in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And it's kind of this, it's an interesting scripture. The Apostle Paul writes this. 
Verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And catch this, this word play. And uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. This, this spread the aroma. Then he says in verse 15, for we, you and I, are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Paul is saying, you are the aroma of Christ. Isn't that kind of crazy? Look to your neighbor and say, is that Jesus? Look back at them and say, don't you blame that on Jesus. You are the pleasing aroma of Christ. Have you ever had somebody that, um, you know, wore, wears a lot of perfume and um, will walk through a room and in 20 minutes later, you know that they were there? Because you, you almost kind of be accosted by it, right? You'll just, cr- they walk through a room and 20 minutes later, you're walking through the room and, and you look around because you're sure they've got to be in the vicinity because it smells like them. And, and, and if somebody, you just know their signature scent, like you know them. You know that they've been there because their scent, their aroma lingers long after they've left, right? And I think what, what Jesus is saying, what, what Paul's trying to, to have us to understand is that you are the pleasing aroma of Christ to people who need to get closer to Christ, which means that the presence of Jesus should linger long after you leave. Which means that when, when, when let's say, I, I know you're busy and you've got work and you've got things going on and you've got people that you work with or work for or you've got employees that you manage. What if the conversation after you leave a room, it went like this? Man, I just feel better when I'm around that person. I don't know what is going on, but man, I know they're a Christian and I don't know God, but they make me want to know him. There's something different. like this pleasing aroma of Christ. That God is revealed to those around us through you as the aroma of Christ. So my question for you today is, what is, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? Maybe when I'm talking about these mat carriers, you just know that you know that you know that you need to cultivate mat carriers in your life. Or maybe you just know that you need to come alongside someone and, and you need to pick up the corner of that mat and drag their sorry butt to Jesus because you wish somebody would do that for you when you're in your time of need. What is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about? And maybe for some of you right now, you're, just, you're literally dragging yourself in here or maybe you're watching online and you're like, I'm, I'm barely holding hold on. But God, I know that you, I know that you've put a mat carrier in my life and maybe it's time for me to begin to cultivate those relationships rather than the mat makers that keep me on the mat and really want me to stay on the mat that I'm on rather than get up. And so Jesus, I... I want to experience the fullness of your presence and we realize that it's not hosted in a crowd, it's hosted in community. Lord, I thank you 
for the people that you've placed in, in my life. I thank you for the, the people that you've placed in each and every single one of our lives as mat carriers, as friends, true friends that sometimes will willing or unwillingly take you closer to Jesus. And may we be friendships that would do that for other people. May we be mat carriers in other people's lives because that's what you've called us to. You've actually given us a role and a responsibility to be the sweet and pleasing aroma of Jesus to those that are perishing and those that are coming to know Jesus. I pray that it is our presence in the midst of people that would draw them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you've placed each and every single one of us into the place where we are, into the family that we're in, into the jobs that we're placed in to be the pleasing aroma of Jesus everywhere we step, everywhere we go. And I pray that it would linger as we leave. Lord, we thank you that you are more than enough. And Lord, as we talk about your, your word of, of presence this, this year, I pray that we would host you well, not just for us, for me and Jesus and you and Jesus, but for the community of your presence. Help us to understand that and to learn that and to cultivate that and to love it, to do things that are a bit crazy because we care so much. We ask you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Go carry someone's mat. Have a great week.